It's the Victorian Variety Show. A man may be a true scientific man and yet agree with Professor D. Morgan when he says... I have both seen and heard, in a manner which would make unbelief impossible, things called spiritual, which cannot be taken by a rational being to be capable of explanation by imposture, coincidence, or mistake. So far, I feel the ground firm under me, but when it comes to what is the cause of these phenomena, I find I cannot adopt any explanation which has yet been suggested. The physical explanations which I have seen are easy, but miserably insufficient. The spiritual hypothesis is sufficient, but ponderously difficult. Regarding the sufficiency of the explanation, I am not able to speak. That certain physical phenomena, such as the movement of material substances and the production of sounds resembling electric discharges, occur under circumstances in which they cannot be explained by any physical law at present known, is a fact of which I am as certain as I am of the most elementary fact in chemistry. My whole scientific education has been one long lesson in exactness of observation, and I wish it to be distinctly understood that this firm conviction is the result of most careful investigation but I cannot at present hazard even the most vague hypothesis as to the cause of the phenomena. Hitherto, I have seen nothing to convince me of the truth of the spiritual theory. In such an inquiry, the intellect demands that the spiritual proof must be absolutely incapable of being explained away. It must be so strikingly and convincingly true that we cannot, dare not, deny it. Faraday says, Before we proceed to consider any question involving physical principles, we should set out with clear ideas of the naturally possible and impossible. But this appears like reasoning in a circle. We are to investigate nothing till we know it to be possible. Whilst we cannot say what is impossible outside pure mathematics till we know everything. This is the Victorian Variety Show podcast, my bi-weekly look at phenomena from the Victorian era that I find weird, wonderful, or worrisome. Some of the topics I look at easily qualify for two of those categories, and there's probably at least one that qualifies for all three, but that would require an explanation that I'm not going to make today. But I'm comfortable covering the ones that fall into at least one and often two categories, especially if they fall into the weird category which, I like to emphasize, does not mean bad. When I use it, it just means it's very different from what's considered the norm today. My name is Marissa, and the excerpt I just read is taken from Researches in the Phenomena of Spiritualism, which I will refer to for the remainder of this episode simply as Researches, published in 1874 by British physicist and chemist Sir William Crookes. The subject of this week's episode and my previous episode, in which I discussed some of Crookes's better-known scientific discoveries, such as the element thallium and his studies of cathode rays, 
as well as the Crookes tube, a partially evacuated glass tube that I first came across in my research for my episode on Victorian-era x-rays several months ago. As I mentioned in my last episode, Crookes was not the first scientist to use such tubes, but according to an article on the Magnet Academy website on Crookes, these tubes are most often associated with him, either because he referred to using them in so many of his research papers, or because the ones he used might have been of the highest quality. I'll include a link to that article and all of the other sources I consulted on putting this episode together in the show notes, as well as a link to my previous episode if you haven't listened to that yet. But, as I mentioned last time, a number of Crookes' scientific discoveries were discounted or disproven, which, for the most part, he accepted, and he continued to maintain an open mind throughout his career, which I think served him in the sense that it inspired him to continue experimenting in several scientific areas, but also may have explained why he was interested for some time in exploring a field that many scientists both during the Victorian era and today, are not willing to consider as worthy of research, spiritualism, and paranormal phenomena. Before I talk about Crookes' relationship with spiritualism, I'm going to give you a brief recap on what spiritualism is and why I think it's so important to have an understanding of its importance during the Victorian era. In fact, I did a two-part episode on spiritualism back in 2021, And I'm going to include a link to one of those in the show notes as well. But basically, according to an article on the Victorian-era website called Victorian Spiritualism and Spiritualists, spiritualism involves the belief that humans can communicate with the dead, and many practices that we associate with spiritualism today, including seances, Ouija boards, and tarot cards, either were developed or became popular during this period. This was happening for a number of reasons, one of which was the fact that the Industrial Revolution was in full swing, and in their moves from rural and country life to big cities, many people were leaving behind not just extended families, but also religious practices and other traditions. And spiritualism, which had adherents from a variety of social classes and backgrounds, stepped in to fill that void to some extent. In addition, the Victorian era was a time of widespread death. Due to a wide variety of factors, ranging from, to name just a few, illnesses like tuberculosis, cholera, and yellow fever, as well as unsanitary medical practices, industrial accidents, and war, particularly the U.S. Civil War. Given the amount of death people dealt with and the fact that many of the deceased were children and young adults, a lot of people seemed to believe that they could maintain contact with deceased loved ones maybe as a way of coping with their losses. One individual who falls into this category appears to have been Sir William Crookes. In The Ghosts of William Crookes, Miguel Barral explains that in 1867, William who at this point was in his mid-thirties and had discovered thallium, so he was already making considerable waves as a scientist, fell into, quote, a tremendous sadness and depression from which his friends tried to rescue him, end quote, when his youngest brother, Philip, died from yellow fever while he was working in the Caribbean. Among those who came to William Crookes' rescue was the British engineer Cromwell Varley, who, Baral says, convinced Crooks and his wife to visit a medium in the hopes of communicating with Philip. 
In its entry on Crooks, Psy Encyclopedia notes that the following year, Crooks attended a session with medium Frank Hearn, who, quote, began to be controlled by Philip, who seemingly spoke so effectively to Crooks that Crooks was moved to tears and reached the conviction that he really was receiving a message from his deceased brother, end quote. I don't know if that was the same session Varley talked Crooks into attending, based on the research that I've cited, but Baral explains that Crooks attended a number of sessions, and eventually dedicated himself to investigating paranormal phenomena. But although he decided to turn his attentions to the paranormal, Crooks didn't abandon his scientific training and perspective. Psy Encyclopedia explains that he largely approached his paranormal investigations as a scientist, conducting his investigations under conditions he could control, usually alone or, according to Wikipedia, with other science-minded individuals like Varley. In particular, Crooks appeared unwilling to investigate with spiritualists, whom he felt were indifferent to evidence and too willing to generalize beyond it. For example, they might too easily accept a strange knock in a dark room or a flash of light as a proof that the room was haunted, without first taking a series of steps to debunk it. As Crooks stated in researches, quote, the spiritualist tells of tapping sounds which are produced in different parts of a room when two or more persons sit quietly round a table. The scientific experimenter is entitled to ask that these taps shall be produced on the stretched membrane of his phonograph. The spiritualist tells of rooms and houses being shaken, even to injury, by superhuman power. The man of science merely asks for a pendulum to be set vibrating when it is in a glass case and supported on solid masonry. The spiritualist tells of heavy articles of furniture moving from one room to another without human agency. But the man of science has made instruments which will divide an inch into a million parts, and he is justified in doubting the accuracy of the former observations if the same force is powerless to move the index of his instrument one poor degree. End quote. However, it seems clear that Crooks believed unexplained phenomena deserved to be investigated, as it was impossible for humans to assume they had a complete knowledge of how nature and the universe worked, and that results that supported the existence of paranormal phenomena needn't conflict with science, because, as Sci Encyclopedia explains, he asserted that, quote, anything found to be true via research would have been true as well beforehand, end quote. Psy Encyclopedia suggests that Crooks published his first papers on his investigations of paranormal phenomena in 1871. In these, he described experiments with a medium named Daniel Douglas Home, which, Crooks believed, supplied proof that psychic forces existed. In one experiment, Holmes sat at a table between Crooks and another observer, each of whom kept their feet on top of Holmes to detect slight movements on the medium's part while Holm kept one hand on the table and the other on an accordion that was in a cage under the table. Crooks reported that the instrument expanded, contracted, and played notes in ways that would not have been possible for Holm to accomplish, as they would have required him to use the hand that was resting on the table. In another experiment, Crooks tested whether Holm could cause a board with a spring balance held by a tripod at one end to oscillate simply by placing his fingers on the board, and noted that, quote, 
almost immediately the pointer of the balance was seen to descend. After a few seconds, it rose again. This movement was repeated several times, as if by successive waves of the psychic force. The end of the board was observed to oscillate slowly up and down during the time. End quote. Again, however, Crookes and his subjects seemed to take care to find support for their initial observations. Psy Encyclopedia notes that Holm went on to lay small objects on the board to prove he wasn't exerting any additional pressure on it, and that Crookes even climbed onto the board and jumped up and down on it to see if that would produce the same effect. Also, Crookes didn't seem content to observe the effect of the mysterious forces on the inanimate objects that were used in his experiments. Psy Encyclopedia points out that he was interested in the impact they were having on home, noting that the forces left the medium pale, prostrate, and almost faint, and stating at one point that, quote, I could scarcely doubt that the evolution of psychic force is accompanied by a corresponding drain on vital force, end quote. In addition to his work with Home and his reports of witnessing phenomena such as tables and chairs rising from the ground without human assistance, human levitation, the appearance of mysterious hands that were not connected to bodies, and automatic writing, to name just a few, Crookes' experiments with a teenaged medium named Florence Cook, and through Cook, the full-form materialization of a spirit by the name of Katie King, seem especially well-known. Crooks took great care in demonstrating that Cook was not impersonating King. In one experiment, he enlisted the assistance of Varley in designing a chair that was connected to an electrical current that would break if Cook left it, and even took photographs that, he felt, clearly showed that Cook and King were two separate entities, noting differences in hair color and the fact that the spirit appeared to be taller than the medium. In researches, Crooks recounted the following event. Quote, I pass on to a seance held last night at Hackney. Katie never appeared to greater perfection, and for nearly two hours she walked about the room, conversing familiarly with those present. On several occasions she took my arm when walking, and the impression conveyed to my mind that it was a living woman by my side, instead of a visitor from the other world, was so strong that the temptation to repeat a recent celebrated experiment became almost irresistible. Feeling, however, that if I had not a spirit, I had at all events a lady close to me. I asked her permission to clasp her in my arms, so as to be able to verify the interesting observations which a bold experimentalist has recently somewhat verbosely recorded. Permission was graciously given, and I accordingly did, well, as any gentleman would do under the circumstances. End quote. Seeking to prove that King was not being impersonated by Cook, Crooks continued, quote, I went cautiously into the room, it being dark, and felt about for Miss Cook. I found her crouching on the floor. Kneeling down, I let air enter the lamp, and by its light I saw the young lady dressed in black velvet, as she had been in the early part of the evening, and to all appearance perfectly senseless. She did not move when I took her hand and held the light quite close to her face, but continued quietly breathing. Raising the lamp, I looked around and saw Katie standing close behind Miss Cook. 
she was robed in flowing white drapery as we had seen her previously during the seance. Holding one of Miss Cook's hands in mine, and still kneeling, I passed the lamp up and down so as to illuminate Katie's whole figure and satisfy myself thoroughly that I was really looking at the veritable Katie, whom I had clasped in my arms a few minutes before, and not at the phantasm of a disordered brain. She did not speak, but moved her head and smiled in recognition. Three separate times did I carefully examine Miss Cook crouching before me to be sure that the hand I held was that of a living woman, and three separate times did I turn the lamp to Katie and examine her with steadfast scrutiny until I had no doubt whatever of her objective reality. At last, Miss Cook moved slightly, and Katie instantly motioned me to go away. I went to another part of the cabinet and then ceased to see Katie but did not leave the room till Miss Cook woke up and two of the visitors came in with a light. End quote. Another name Crooks worked with in his investigations of inexplicable phenomena may ring a bell with fans of Victorian-era spiritualism. Kate Fox, who, as an adolescent in upstate New York, played an important role in the development of spiritualism in the late 1840s with her older sister, Maggie. In my 2021 episode on the Fox Sisters, which is the one I'm leaving a link to in the show notes, numerous skeptics over the years tried to debunk the sisters, claiming that the mysterious wrappings made at their well-attended seances were made not by spirits, but by the girls themselves. However, Crooks apparently was not among the Fox Sisters critics, noting in researches that, quote, for power and certainty, I have met with no one who had all approached Miss Kate Fox. For several months, I enjoyed almost unlimited opportunity of testing the various phenomena occurring in the presence of this lady, and I especially examined the phenomena of these sounds. With mediums generally, it is necessary to sit for a formal seance before anything is heard. But in the case of Miss Fox, it seems only necessary for her to place her hand on any substance for loud thuds to be heard in it, like a triple pulsation, sometimes loud enough to be heard several rooms off. In this manner, I have heard them in a living tree, on a sheet of glass, on a stretched iron wire, on a stretched membrane, a tambourine, on the roof of a cab, and on the floor of a theater. Moreover, Actual contact is not always necessary. I have had these sounds proceeding from the floor, walls, etc., when the medium's hands and feet were held, when she was standing on a chair, when she was suspended in a swing from the ceiling, when she was enclosed in a wire cage, and when she had fallen fainting on a sofa. End quote. Now that I've given you a brief overview of how crooks might have become interested in researching paranormal phenomena, some of the more prominent names he worked with, and the type of research he conducted in this area, I'm going to talk a bit about some of the reactions he received from the scientific community. Psy Encyclopedia notes that his work was widely discussed in the UK and numerous European countries in the early 1870s, and one thing his defenders and his critics seemed to agree upon was the fact that his association with spiritualism and mediumship gave these phenomena some prestige. However, many members of the scientific community were non-receptive to Crookes' finding on a number of grounds. 
For example, Science Cyclopedia notes that physicist Balfour Stewart praised Crookes' empirical methods on the one hand, but argued that the phenomena he studied could be imagined by witnesses. Others suggested that the equipment Crookes studied had been compromised in some way, either by inaccurate information supplied by the mediums or equipment Crookes used in his experiments. Psy Encyclopedia explains that when the British Association for the Advancement of Science refused to publish Crookes's reports, Alan Thompson, who, according to Wikipedia, seems to have been president of the biological section of the association around that time, publicly expressed his dissatisfaction with, quote, men of reputation trying to show the reality of the delusive dreams of the practitioners of spiritualism, end quote. Perhaps the strongest scientific criticism came from an anonymous article that was published in 1871 in the magazine Quarterly Review, which claimed not only the crooks had ignored earlier research debunking paranormal claims, such as a demonstration by Michael Faraday that showed the involvement of natural forces in table turning, but also questioned Crookes' competence as a scientist. According to the article's writer, whom Sci Encyclopedia identifies as physiologist William B. Carpenter, quote, Mr. Crooks acquired his place in science by the application of spectrum analysis to the detection of the new metal thallium, the properties and chemical relations of which he studied with care and accuracy. For this discovery, he was rewarded by the fellowship of the Royal Society. But we speak advisedly when we say that this distinction was conferred on him with considerable hesitation, the ability he displayed in the investigation being purely technical. We are assured, on the highest authority, that he is regarded among chemists as a specialist of specialists, being totally destitute of any knowledge of chemical philosophy, and utterly untrustworthy as to any inquiry which requires more than technical knowledge for its successful conduct. End quote. Crookes also had critics outside of the scientific community. Sci Encyclopedia suggests that even though many spiritualists welcomed Crookes' investigations, some accused him of speaking of spiritualism in a condescending tone, dismissing tests they'd conducted, or painting them as credulous believers. In addition, some prominent critiques of Crookes appeared many decades later, such as the spiritualists, the Story of Florence Cook and William Crookes, published by British historian Trevor Hall in 1962, which painted Florence Cook as a fraud and alleged that the medium and Crookes were having an affair at the time of their investigations. Although Psy Encyclopedia explains that Hall's claims have been refuted for insufficient evidence, some 20th century scientists have accused Crookes of not supplying adequate documentation of steps he took to prevent fraud. For example, two critics cited by Psy Encyclopedia, Medhurst and Goldney, suggested in the 1960s that Crookes may have fallen short in this regard out of a belief that his scientific credentials spoke for themselves, in which case he might have seen such documentation as too, quote-unquote, pedestrian a matter to bother with. Still, Crookes's findings had some highly esteemed defenders, among them Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In The History of Spiritualism, first published in 1926, Doyle wrote that Crookes' research was conducted, quote, by a man at the very zenith of his mental development, and that the famous career which followed was a sufficient proof of his intellectual stability, end quote, and seemed to appreciate the fact that Crookes was able to balance a, 
quote-unquote, sternly critical approach to the paranormal, with a sympathetic attitude toward the spiritual. According to Doyle, quote, it is too often forgotten that psychic research of the best sort is really psychic and depends upon spiritual conditions. It is not the bumptious, self-opinionated man, sitting with a ludicrous want of proportion as a judge upon spiritual matters, who attains results. But it is he who appreciates that the strict use of reason and observation is not incompatible with humility of mind, and that courteous gentleness of demeanor which makes for harmony and sympathy between the inquirer and his subject. End quote. Science Cyclopedia also includes some commentaries by anonymous writers that defended Crooks, and because they're listed as anonymous, I won't give them too much weight here, but I do think it's possible that these writers didn't want to go on record due to the amount of skepticism Crooks met with. But Sci Encyclopedia also explains the Crooks' psychical researches, which were the first performed by a reputable scientist in the UK, were influential in helping to create an environment in the early 1880s that allowed for the establishment of organizations like the Society for Psychical Research, a London-based organization that exists to this day and describes itself on its website as, quote, the first scientific organization ever to examine claims of psychic and paranormal phenomena, end quote. So even though Baral claims that Crookes' forays into spiritualism damaged his reputation, he not only continued to conduct scientific investigations, but seems to have made some of his best-known scientific discoveries in the late 1870s and beyond, including many of his studies of cathode rays, and in the early 20th century, radioactive materials, as well as his designs for protective eyewear for glass workers toward the end of his life, around 1913, according to Wikipedia. In addition, Baral acknowledges that even though Crookes made a full return to science in the mid to late 1870s, very likely due, at least in part, to the amount of criticism he received, he maintained a link with spiritualism throughout his life and was involved in organizations such as the Ghost Club, on whose website you can see a photo of Sir William seated among a group of members that was taken around 1882. He also served as president of the aforementioned Society for Psychical Research in the 1890s and, according to Wikipedia, was initiated into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in 1890 which on its website describes itself as, quote, an organization which has exerted a greater influence on the development of occultism since its revival in the last quarter of the 19th century than most people can realize, end quote. From what I can see, Crooks doesn't seem to have been one of the Golden Dawn's more prominently known members, some of whom include poet William Butler Yeats and Aleister Crowley, but I think we can see from these examples something that was mentioned in the Magnet Academy article on Crooks. He did maintain an open mind throughout his life. Once again, I think that was beneficial to him both in his scientific career and in his studies of psychic phenomena. And for what it's worth, it's refreshing for me to see a scientist with that kind of attitude. One who, on the one hand, approaches the unknown with a healthy dose of skepticism, but isn't too quick to rule anything out either. Because, after all, we as humans don't have all of the answers, much as we would like to think that we do sometimes. But now, I would love to know what you think. Email me at the Victorian Variety Show at gmail.com 
or leave me a voice message at podcasters.spotify.com slash show slash pod slash marissa hyphen d96 slash message. You can also follow me on the platform formerly known as Twitter for as long as we're still able to do that at twitter.com slash victorianvarai1 on threads at threads.net slash at marissadf13 or now on blue sky at at marissadf13.bsky.social. If you'd like to support the show financially, there are a few ways you can do that. You can become a supporter starting at 99 cents a month at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash marissa hyphen d96 slash support. Or you can make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13. On my link tree at linktree slash the Victorian Variety Show. Or if you're listening on the Good Pods app. And finally, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, Podchaser, Audible, or wherever you listen, as that helps this podcast reach more listeners. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed getting to know Sir William Crookes, scientist and spiritualist. He's a complex figure, but I think it's safe to say that whatever you happen to think of him and his discoveries, he embodied a number of themes that we tend to come across rather often in looking at the Victorian era. I do plan to be back in two weeks, but I am going to be moving in a few months and will need to spend more time decluttering and packing. So my next few episodes will probably be in the form of mini-sodes. I actually spend most of the time I put into this podcast on the research and writing part of it. The initial research doesn't take me that long, but I end up doing a lot more as I write and I'm a pretty slow writer, so I'm not going to have as much time to write over the next few weeks. As of right now, I still haven't completely decided what I want to do yet, but I'm planning to do some shorter episodes that revisit topics I've covered in past episodes, but I would like you to take away something new from each one. In the meantime, I'm going to leave you with another excerpt from Sir William Crookes' researches, in which he seems to address those in both the scientific and the spiritual communities, and I think this is a great explanation of his unique perspective on this topic. It has been my wish to show that science is gradually making its followers the representatives of care and accuracy. It is a fine quality, that of uttering undeniable truth. Let, then, that position not be lowered, but let words suit facts with an accuracy equal to that with which the facts themselves can be ascertained, and in a subject encrusted with credulity and superstition let it be shown that there is a class of facts to be found upon which reliance can be placed, so far that we may be certain they will never change. In common affairs, a mistake may have but a short life, but in the study of nature, an imperfect observation may cause infinite trouble to thousands. The increased employment of scientific methods will promote exact observation and greater love of truth among inquirers and will produce a race of observers who will drive the worthless residuum of spiritualism hence into the unknown limbo of magic and necromancy. If spiritualists would but attend to the teachings of their own prophets, they would no longer have to complain of the hostile attitude of science. 
for hear what Thomas L. Harris urges in his Lyric of a Golden Age. The nearer to the practical men keep, the less they deal in vague and abstract things. The less they deal in huge mysterious words, the mightier is their power. The simplest peasant who observes a truth, and from a fact deduces principle, adds solid treasure to the public wealth. The theorist who dreams a rainbow dream and calls hypothesis philosophy, at best is but a paper financier who palms his specious promises for gold. Facts are the basis of philosophy. Philosophy, the harmony of facts, seen in their right relation.